Good morning. <laughs> Who do you tend not to believe? Don't call out names. <laughs> Reflect to yourself, please. As you journey through your life, who do you tend not to believe? Or, or maybe um, what types of people do you tend not to believe? Again, don't call stuff out. We want this to be a Merry Christmas for everyone. Are there people, though, I mean, if we're honest, are there people we come across or people we see, you know, in, in, a, in the public eye that we don't believe? Or, are there, or, or, or think about it this way, are there concepts, are, are there things that are presented as truth, are there ideas that you come across that you don't believe? And then I could ask you this morning with that kind of in the background, with that fresh in mind of our tendency to look at some people or groups of people or ideas or, 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 or spoken ideas that we come across and we have a tendency to think, I, I don't know, I don't believe it. So with that kind of as an underlying thought, you know, do we have that tendency, do we have situations like that? Let me ask you this question, do you believe God? Do you believe him? Yeah, and, and, I know, and I know you do. Those of you that are, that are in Christ, that are followed to Jesus, that, are, that, are, that love God and want to know him more and more, I, I know we do, or, or, you know, forgive me, at least we think we do, or we sort of intellectually, you know, want to. But, but just to think this morning, just to kind of challenge ourselves a little bit, do you believe God? And, and, and then specifically, here's this one. God loves you. Church family, God loves you. Is it, a, is, it, is it too trite? Is it too frequent? Is it so familiar that if we're honest, we're not sure? I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. Uh, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, this was a book that we... Um, used as a resource a few months back, and we gave away lots of copies. Dane Ortland wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly, and this is one of a, a, a quote from that book. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but what if Satan's greatest victory in your life is the dark thoughts that we have about God's heart? If, if what if Satan's greatest victory in messing with you and deceiving you and in, 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 in getting you to believe lies is to give us dark thoughts about God's heart for us, his love for us. Um, church family, God loves you. Do you believe it? Or are, are there things that we say we believe but we don't necessarily act like it. Are there, is that one that falls, is that, does that fact of God loving us fall into that category sometimes that we, we know it, we, we say we believe it, we want to believe it, 
but maybe we don't live it out, we don't act like it, we don't entrust ourselves to him. Open your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 John chapter 4. Love you to have your Bible with you on your lap, open to 1 John 4, or if you have a device with a Bible app, you can open that and find 1 John 4. And uh, while you find that, I will say that my name is Derek, I'm one of the pastors here. I really love Christmas, and I don't have any props by which to help you this morning. Sometimes I do, but not this morning. But as we, as we uh, do gather right now, we do have God's Word to look at. So 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, in a moment here, I'll start reading at verse 7. 1 John 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's the passage of scripture that we're going to spend a few minutes taking a little bit of a closer look at. If you've been with us in recent weeks, on recent Sundays, we are in the season that we call Advent. Advent is a word that means the arrival or the coming, and we're, we're of course referencing the coming of Jesus. As we celebrate at Christmas time, we're thinking back 2,000 years ago to that first Advent, the first coming of Jesus, and as we celebrate his first coming, it does it's an exciting opportunity to know and think of and look forward to his second advent or his second coming. And so during the advent season, each Sunday, we've had a different theme and we've talked about how the advent of Jesus into the world, the coming of Jesus into the world has come with hope and peace and joy. We talked about the fact that hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And the next week, we talked about the fact that that the prophecy of old foretold the rescuer coming, Jesus coming, and that he would be prince of peace. And then last Sunday, as we talked about the Christmas story, we were reminded that the advent of Jesus into our world is good news of great joy. Joy. So we have hope, peace, and joy. And then today, uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent, as we get ready to celebrate Jesus' birth here in a few days, we're, we're considering how the advent of Jesus brings love into the world. So I'm actually going to start kind of in the middle of that passage. Uh, we're going to jump around just a little bit, but I'm going to start kind of in the middle of that passage we read at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So in this, we, we see God's love. We know God's love. We start to experience God's love. And then we've got to think to ourselves real quick. We've got to contrast this real quick. So when we talk about God loving us, are we talking about the way we love pizza or the weather or our sports team? 
Or, or is there more going on? Verse 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Is, it, is, is when God loves us, is that like, um, is that like I love Nancy's burger? That it's the best burger until a better burger comes along? Is that the way that God loves us? Or, or, or does God love us the way that we tend to love others? If left to ourselves in our, in our default position of, of kind of the sin nature, the way we tend to love our, each other when, is when the others are acting right. When they're meeting our expectations and needs, then we love them. Is that the way God loves us? Look at verse 9 again. In this, in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was made known. It was demonstrated to us. What? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Merry Christmas, church family. In this, God showed us how much he loved us, that he sent his son into the world. Love is made manifest. God himself entering into the world as his son, the promised rescuer. Love was made manifest. Love, as, as Jesus, when Jesus' first advent, his first coming, love was made visible. It was made clear. It was made apparent. Love, God's love was demonstrated so that we might live through Jesus. Later in the passage, we didn't read this a few minutes ago, but down if you look down at verse 14, or it's on the screen as well, later in the passage, we see this. And we have seen and testify that the Father, God, has sent his Son to be, what? Savior of the world. So not only did God send his Son, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, God sent his Son to be, what? Savior. And the fact that God sent Jesus to be a Savior or a Rescuer, what does that tell us about us? That we need a rescuer, that we're, in a, that we're in bad shape, that apart from Jesus, dot, 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 love, the love of God was demonstrated that not only did God send his son into the world, but he sent him here as a savior because we need saving. So what is the big picture story of the Bible? Where, when we, before we celebrate Advent today, before we remember and think back to that first Christmas, and before we, and as we want to celebrate what Jesus has done in coming into the world, we need to know the big picture story of the Bible. And it starts in Genesis chapter 1, where we discover that God is the creator of all things. And in Genesis chapter 2, his creating all things included creating you and me, human beings. He created our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first human beings. And, and we've talked in recent weeks about the fact that these were perfect people in a perfect world and in a perfect relationship with God. Doesn't that sound nice? That was the situation. That was God's best for us. That was what God intended in, in creating all things and in creating human beings to be in relationship with him. But... But our first parents, Adam and Eve, went their own way, and if it were you and I instead, we would have done the same thing. Adam and Eve chose to put themselves in God's place. They, they, they chose rebellion. They chose selfishness. They chose, yes, Satan deceived them, but they chose to put themselves in the place of God. Our, our early parents chose the kingdom of one, 
the kingdom of self. I'm going to invest my time in what suits me and in what's best for me and in what's convenient for me. And ever since then, ever since the human rebellion, uh, things have been broken. The world we live in is broken. Things are not as God intended. There is hurt and pain and suffering and difficulty and injustice and violence. And that's, that's the situation we find ourselves in, in our earthly journey. That's the situation we are born into, that we want to be reconciled with God. We, our early, our, Adam and Eve initially had that perfect relationship with God, and that perfect relationship is broken by the entrance of sin into our lives. And so the, the situation you and I are born into is we want to be reconciled with God. We want to have that relationship put back right, but we can't. Our sin separates us. We are sinful by both nature and by choice. And we can't because no matter how hard we try, no matter what we pull ourselves up by, the bootstraps, our efforts, our behavior, our religious checklists of maybe if I'm a better person, maybe if I go to church, maybe if I read my Bible, none of that matches up to the holy and righteous standard of God. And so we want to be reconciled, but we can't. Dot, 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 dot. And if it stayed there, it would be a pretty dark situation, a pretty hopeless situation. But we said that hope has a name. His name is Emmanuel. His name is Jesus, God with us. God didn't leave us in that position. God enacted his rescue plan. Let's look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. We we can't breeze past this part, church family, no matter how many times you think you've heard it. Verse 10 starts like this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. In other words, God's love comes toward us, not based on our own efforts, our own matching up, our own striving, our own behavior, our own merits. God's love doesn't come toward us because of what we do. God's love doesn't come to us because we're determined or because we behave so he'll love us. God's love comes toward us The rest of the verse says it. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love comes to us not because of our efforts. Love comes to us because God sent his son and because Jesus willingly lived and died and was raised again. Love comes to us because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the gospel that is proclaimed in the Bible, the gospel that we remind each other of all the time is the spectacular news that God rescues sinners like you and I, puts us back in relationship with himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What is propitiation then from our verse? There's a, there's a fancy church word, a Bible word in, in, in verse 10 that says, Jesus, his, uh, the Son of God, came to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation means an appeasing sacrifice. God's wrath, God is holy and perfect and just. And the, the just reaction of a just God is to pour out wrath on sin, on rebellion against him. And so there needs to be a sacrifice that appeases God. 
Jesus came and lived the life that you and I cannot live. He died the death that we deserve as the propitiation for our life, for our sin. He, Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is um, the, the atoning sacrifice that appeases God's wrath towards sin and makes it possible for us to be reconciled with God. Jesus is the propitiation that turns God's wrath away from us and changes God's wrath towards us and our sin from wrath into favor. Is that good news? Merry Christmas, church family. Because Jesus is the propitiation, God's wrath toward you and your sin has turned to favor because of the cross. So, when we read God's words, when we hear those words that I started with a bit ago, God loves you. Do you believe it? He sent his son. It isn't just like he loves pizza or the way that we love the weather or the imperfect way that we love other human beings. God, his love is demonstrated for us in that he sent his son as a rescuer. And how did he rescue? He rescued, we already mentioned this, he rescued because Jesus lived the perfect life, the life without sin, the life that you and I are not capable of. Jesus then willingly went to the cross and took the weight of our sin, all of the world's sin upon him, and and where he absorbed the wrath of God against sin, he then gave us his righteous sinlessness. What an exchange that is. You want to talk about a gift exchange? And I'm not talking about white elephant. Jesus on the cross absorbed God's wrath, took the weight of our sin, and in exchange for us trusting in him and finding faith in Jesus, we are given the righteousness of Christ. And that God, when God looks upon you, he sees the perfection of Christ. That's how Jesus rescues. So what it, what, when you hear it, when you hear it, God loves you. Do you believe God? Do you believe that he loves you? Even in the moments where your behavior and your your thought life and your struggles kind of make you and the evil one wants to tempt you and deceive you and trick you into thinking that maybe God doesn't love you? Can we remember the advent of Jesus, the Son of God, into the world that proves how much God loves us? When we hear it, that God loves us, do we receive it? Or is it in one ear, out the other? When people say God loves you, is it, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before, but I know the way I think and, 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 and the darkness that creeps in occasionally. Or when we hear God loves you, can we take it to heart and keep reminding ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves that Jesus lived and died and was raised again so that we might live? Do we, need to, do we receive God's love? Do we preach the gospel to ourselves? Do we remind fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus of God's love for us? Church family, believe it. Believe that God loves you. Receive 
God's love, receive the free gift of salvation. We do that by repenting, by turning away from our old life, by rejecting our tendency to sin and rebel against God and go our own way. We repent and turn away from that, and instead we turn to God. Repent and entrust yourselves to God in faith as we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, as we believe that he is the promised rescuer, as we believe that God sent him into the world to, to, to love us. We, we believe that that's who he is, and we put our trust in Jesus, recognizing that we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do on our own efforts. We come to the end of ourselves, and we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, and we say, Jesus, save me. I put my trust in you. So church family, those of you in this room, those of you watching online, believe it, that God loves you. And put your faith in him. If you, um, if you would be encouraged to read more, certainly from the Bible, but also with a little bit of help from an author, if you would be encouraged to read more about the heart of God for you, and you hadn't already get, gotten a copy a few months ago, this is that Dane Ortland book that I referenced earlier called Gentle and Lowly. And uh, a bunch of you already got them, but maybe you haven't yet. If, if you would enjoy and benefit from some reading about the heart of God and, and what at, at his essence, at his core, at his very nature, what God is about, I'd encourage you to check this out. Um, we, have more, we have lots of copies we could give away if you haven't already got one. This one's hardback, so it's better than all the other copies we're giving out. So who would like a hardback copy of Gentle and Lowly? Come, come on and get it. This one's yours, and then we got more. Enjoy. I didn't make Merry Christmas. I didn't make you come all the way. And now if you're feeling like you missed out because you weren't bold enough to raise your hand, there's a pile on the table in the back of this room uh, where we have resources available to you. There's a bunch of free copies of Gentle and Lowly, and we'd love if you haven't got one of those already to take one. If you're new uh, to Faith Church, certainly grab one. We would love that to give that to you as a gift from us. The rest of the resource books on that table, I think, are available for borrowing. But the gentle and lowly copies are free. So there you go. So go find one of those if you want in a little bit. All right, so where did our passage start? Our passage started at verse 7. Let's, let's back up just a little bit and see what else we've got here from God's word this morning. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. So maybe we ask, why? Why should we love one another? Let's keep going. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then look at this very serious contrast in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I alluded to this when we talk about the book Gentle and Lowly, when we talk about the, the whole biblical story about who God is. Here's one of the best verses in the whole Bible on the screen, Exodus 34. This is where God himself is, is talking with Moses, and here's how God himself describes himself. So from the heart of God, about the very heart of God, about the core of God, about his very nature, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. A God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
and faithfulness. God's very nature, his, his every activity is, is loving activity. His very nature is love. And so therefore, verses 7 and 8 tell us, because that's who God is, because love is at his core, then 7 and 8 tell us what, what that ought to say about our lives. That those who have been captured by God's love, that those who have, have, have been, become followers of God, who have entrusted their lives to Jesus, because God is about love, and as he captures us and as we submit our lives to him, we are transformed into the image of God. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that, that those who love know God. And those that don't love, it says, does not know God. If, if we fail to love, if we fail to love, I'm not talking about you're perfect all the time, you never mess up. I'm not talking about that. But if we fail to be increasingly transformed into the image of God, if, if that is not happening, if we have not trusted in Christ and we are not being changed into the image of God, and, and we fail, and we and the kind of the fruit of that, the result of that is a failure to love, then we ought to be careful here. May not have been truly born of, of God because we may not, because it doesn't seem like we have the nature of God working in us. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. As we, are, as we follow God and as we are changed by him, our love for others, then, is, is a natural result of being saved. If you're in Christ, our love for others is, is, a, is fruit, is demonstration that we've been saved. Our, uh, we're not saved by our efforts. We're not saved by how well I love you. We're not saved by going to church often enough. We are saved, we already talked about this earlier, we are saved by confessing that Jesus is the promised rescuer, that I can't save myself, and I entrust myself to him in faith. That is how you are saved from sin and death and from darkness to light. We are saved because we put faith in Jesus. But our love for others, then, is, is really kind of proof of our salvation. That if we've come to the end of ourselves, knowing that we can't match up and we can't behave and match up to God's standard on our own efforts, and we come to that end of ourselves and we call upon God... And he rescues us from sin and death and he begins to transform us from the inside out and giving us a new heart and new mind and new desires. Then, then one of those things that's going to be true of our lives, one of the things that's going to play out, one of the ways that our salvation is going to be proved is the way we are growing in love for others and in the way we live out love for others, and in the way God's love fills us up to the point that we can be conduits overflowing God's love to those around us. Because of Advent, because of Jesus' coming into the world, because God has made his love manifest, because of God's incredible love for us, because of the cross, because of life, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and being the propitiation for our sins, because uh, God is at work in us, he wants to work through us. Because God's love is poured out to us, not only are we saved, are we rescued, are we transformed, but God's love pours out to us so that he could love other people through you. 
church family, through you individually and through you collectively as a church family. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I mean, think about this. This is everywhere in the Bible. If, look at verse 11 again. If God so loved us, if he loved us in, in this way, that he sent his son, that his son lived and died and rose again, if God loved us in that way, then we ought to love one another. Ephesians tells us to be imitators of God. The Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying recently tells us to be holy as God is holy. So what does that mean? It means that we're to reflect God's character. It's, it's, it's that we look to our Bibles and we study and learn who God is, the creator, who is love, who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's as we are imitators of God then, as we are his children, we imitate the Father. We are to reflect his character. God's love, God's love was such was such that it caused him to send his son. Merry Christmas. God's love was such that he sent his son. And so then then God's love in us requires something of us. God's love required him to send his son to save us. God's love in us then requires us to demonstrate love for one another. Look down at verse 13, down at, I mean, sorry, not 13, verse 19. We didn't read it earlier, but if you look down a little further into verse 19, probably one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, we love because God first loved us. I appreciated Grant and Anna being up here talking to us about Advent and this theme of love, and, and they did a great job of some examples of this, this outward-focused love. Who is the God we love and serve? Our God, our God's character is outward-focused love. If he, if he weren't focused outward to send his love out, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to rescue us, right? Our God is, is, has outward-focused love because he wants the best for us. And so then we as imitators of God can, can put into action some of these examples like the Bowmans gave us of 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 being a blessing to others and how to serve others and how to care for others. Not because we're trying to earn brownie points with God, but because God's love has poured out to us and changed us such that all we we can't even help but overflow that love and care and blessing and serving and giving to others. And our, our human love is limited. And so you might think, man, you know, God's love required him to send his son. And now God's love to me requires me to love others. But I'm limited. Yes, yes. In your humanness, you're limited. Your love is limited. But guess what? In Christ, you have Christ walking with you. And in Christ, you have received God himself, the Holy Spirit living within you. Followers of Jesus, church family, we are each Holy Spirit empowered ministers of the gospel. Holy Spirit-enabled conduits of love to the world around us. Not on your own efforts, not because you have to try hard, because you're being transformed by the love of God and God's love is in you and God's love is going to help you love. That's good news. Now, the last verse we'll look at is verse 12. No one has ever seen God, meaning meaning no one's ever seen God in his fullness, no, meaning we can never really get our our, our heads around the entirety of, of who God is, what he's about. No one has ever seen God, meaning not in a full or complete 
way. But look at this. How incredible would this be if God makes this true of our church family? If we love, verse 12 continues, if we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Think about this, church family. As God was once physically present in the world through who? Through Jesus. As, as God was once physically present in the world through his son Jesus, we now, in the present, in our world, we now, God wants to be present in the world through us, through you, through our church family, through believers everywhere. As Jesus was once present in the world physically, God wants to be present physically, and God wants love to be present in the world through you, through you, follower of Jesus, through the faith church family, and through believers everywhere. And so is that our default posture? As, as we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, as we, as we go to him daily, as we ask him to transform us and make us new, when we interact with people, is our default posture to love, to show kindness, to show mercy, to be slow to anger, to be faithful. It is, is the overriding relational method, <laughs> is our overriding relational way to, to be Christ-like loving to those around us. More so much better than dividing, so much more than needing to be right, so much better than living for a kingdom of one, a kingdom of self, is being transformed to where our way of life in the world would be a way of love because God is love. Church family, God loves you. Merry Christmas. And not only does God love you, he wants to love others through you. Father in heaven, you are so good. What, what, what better day to say you are a good and loving father. God, no matter what our experiences in, in, in life, no matter what our experience with earthly fathers, may we increasingly know of your goodness of your incredible love to us as Father. So we come to you, Heavenly Father, thankful for your love for us, thankful for your love to us. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the Advent celebration, the reminders of Jesus' first coming and the hopefulness of his second coming in the future. God, we thank you for your love to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for making a way to, to you. Thank you for opening the door to life now and life forever through Jesus. God, I pray for each person in this room, each person watching online, that we would find all we need in Jesus Christ. If we have never trusted in him or put our faith in him or chosen to follow him before, God, I, I pray that we would know how much you love us, how much we need you, and that we would give our lives to Jesus. And, and, and even for those of us that have followed Jesus for some time now, 
we come to you. We hear you say you love us, and we receive it. We believe it. We've seen and heard the spectacular good news of what Jesus has done. And God, as we experience your love, and as we are thankful for the fact that Advent brings true love into the world and into our lives, we also pray that your love would, would pour through us and out of us. Because you are love, because you have created us in your image, would the image of Jesus in us increasingly reflect growing love for others? Because Jesus is with us, loving others through us. Because the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and empowering us. May our lives overflow with love that wouldn't draw attention to ourselves, but would instead point to the glory of Christ. Thank you for Advent, Father. For hope for peace, for joy, and for love that we have from you because of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.